Welcome to the Blab Lab, EcoRise bi-weekly podcast on all things environmental in Rhode Island. I'm reporter Colleen Cronin, and for today's episode, I'm here with reporters Rob Smith and Frank Carini to talk about affordable housing and how it connects to the environment. Sometimes I tell people that I'm an environmental reporter and I'm writing a story about affordable housing, and they look at me kind of funny. So that's sort of what we're here today to talk about. Frank, you've been in the business the longest, 32 years. Why don't you start? I'm old. You know, every time he comes on, you don't have to, like, rub it in his face, man. I'm just saying. I was shocked that he's been a reporter for 32 years. Because that's, that's longer than I've been alive. <laughs> What's that, Grandpa Simpson? And one day it'll happen to you, Colleen. Um, sorry, Frank, but in all, all reality, tell us, tell us about sort of your take on affordable housing and how it connects to environmentalism. In the past, you've written about homelessness. Uh, we've written about affordable housing. We've written about other things that are social justice issues. And people will email or call to say, why are we writing about this is outside of what we cover? And it's hard to explain to people that all these issues are interconnected. If we don't solve one, we can't solve the others. And affordable housing is part of that because it goes back to land use. In our previous podcast, we spoke about how important land use is. And affordable housing is part of that. If we're not going to be able to take care of our, our own people, our own humans, why are we going to take care of the other creatures we share this planet with? We're not, and we don't. So it's interconnected. You've run into it already, and you've only been here less than a year reporting, and you're going to run into it again. And I still run into it, much less though, much less so than when we first started in 2009. I think I'm hoping that people have learned or understand how these all are interconnected. They are. Like we talked about before, I think that conservation and affordable housing cannot be at least in the town meeting setting, sound like they're opposing ideas, but they're really not. Um, I'm working on a story, ironically, about Legos, which will come out eventually. Or it has to do with Legos. That's a tease. Someone's building a Lego model. Is that, uh, what's his name? Andrew Gerber. Yeah, the guy who always does them. Yeah, he does really cool work. Um, And a lot of times he's doing urban buildings, but he's actually going to be working on... um, What's this got to do with the environment? It does, it does, I swear, I swear. He's working on a, um, a model of a building in Burrville that's historic. And he's a Providence resident, but he does a lot of hiking around Rhode Island. And he was talking about how um, if you do urban well, you can do rural well, but when you do both badly, you or when you do one badly, you end up doing both badly. And I thought that that was really interesting. And I think that I've talked to um, Scott Moore at Grossmart RI, and he always talks about how, um, you know, they don't have to be opposing and, and maybe they need to work in tandem to actually get either accomplished. What is your experience with writing about affordable housing and the environment or just your thoughts? I, I don't think that conservation and affordable housing are really in conflict. It's just that it's one of those things that doesn't really get a lot of funding. We don't really have a lot of, there's not a lot of guidance and there's not a lot of deliberate policy for preserving space. It also really isn't policy for sort of like demolishing a building or to make more open space, right? So like there is for brownfields when they put the cap over it for just a building that isn't a brownfield. No one's making new parks anymore. It's just grass, so it's not really green space, but that space they put in by the pedestrian bridge on the old 195 land is probably the the most obvious example of like a new park. That's just grass, which isn't ideal because grass is terrible for the environment. But parkland, forest, stuff you see in other parks is is really good. Also part of how it's connected to the environment is building. We have finite resources on this planet. You know, we're gobbling up. I'll use Portsmouth as an example because I live there. I walk my dogs there. 
all around. And all I see are these massive houses being built that are McMansions, that are second homes. There was one being built. It's massive. I don't know how big the square footage is, but it's massive. It's a three-car garage. And we found out it's two people that live there. So all these massive amount of finite resources, lumber used to build that home that houses two people that easily could house 20, I'm going to guess, house more. So that's what affordable housing is. You build, if you're building these huge complexes for second homes and people complain, all oh, the price of stuff's going up. Well, that's going up because people are building second homes in these massive homes that aren't helping anybody. So we're going to run out of materials. And I think the common conception is that sort of that cities are bad for the environment, or like overdeveloped urban spaces are worse for the environment than, say, a suburban subdivision or whatever, because this urban subdivision may have trees and grass and other plant life, and cities don't. But uh, I was reading a book a long time ago now. I think it was called Green Metropolis, which advances the argument that cities are more dense and more efficient with resources. So uh, if you are heating via whatever method you want, if you are heating a six-story apartment building versus a, a single-family home, it's more efficient to heat the apartment building than the home because it's all one building, but you don't have to pipe the natural gas or the heating oil further. Uh, and single-family homes, I don't remember my, my high school physics, but they, they lose and waste more heat, and city buildings are much more energy efficient in terms of not necessarily electricity, but heating. And to tie it back to affordable housing, it's denser housing is more affordable. Because as, as Frank alluded to, you're, you're losing less finite material resources, whether it's wood or concrete, uh, whatever they build buildings out of. I, I was a history major. I'm not good with uh, specifics of engineering. But uh, using less resources, it's more efficient. And you're not going to get to affordable housing by being, by making starter homes anymore, especially in Rhode Island, where space is premium. And Colleen, even I was going to ask you, you've written about this. I mean, isn't a lot of municipalities don't even allow second, I mean, two-story, I mean, two-family homes, three-family homes. They don't even allow these denser buildings that you would need for affordable housing. Yeah, a lot of them don't have the zoning to accommodate affordable housing or what we traditionally think of as affordable housing, the affordable housing that the state defines as affordable and the kind of housing that gets subsidies from the federal government. Um, but that being said, there a lot of those communities, I'm thinking like uh, Middletown was the example that I, I used in my um, story that I recently wrote about affordable housing because they've seen the greatest decrease in their percentage over the last 10 years. Um, but half of the town has the infrastructure affordable housing and half of it doesn't. So the parts of town that have the infrastructure are more friendly to that zoning. Um, but there is an environmental argument that I've heard to go to a different uh, Newport County town, Little Compton, there's no public water, there's no sewer anywhere in town. Very, very, very few parts of the town are zoned to have any sort of multifamily housing or mixed-use building. And part of the reason why people feel like that's okay is because many parts of the town couldn't accommodate, you know, a multi-unit residence. Um, there had been a proposal more than 10 years ago, or about 10 years ago, to build affordable housing for seniors in North Compton. And people were concerned about the environmental effects of having so many units there. I think that there were going to be accommodations to make it work environmentally using a septic system. Um, but I think that there are those concerns, and I, I, when I hear them, I understand them. Um, but then it kind of leads me to the, the question, 
when I when I I'm worried writing a story right now about affordable housing in Little Compton specifically, both the kind the the, the state defined kind and also just attainable housing for in Little Compton, which the average house is more than seven hundred thousand dollars there. So uh, it's it's not you know before we can maybe even talk about strictly affordable housing, attainable housing is something that we should talk about, but. Something that I think that I think about with all this is I think that people should still be able to live there. You know, even though even the little Compton is not going to be the place that um, solves our affordable housing crisis. You know, don't people have don't people deserve to live in a, in a beautiful place like that, even if they don't make a ton of money? So my question is, how do you solve that, and how do you put housing there, affordable housing there, that you know that works environmentally, but also people can afford and people have talked a lot about accessory dwellings there's um, a piece of property there that has six units that was created a long time ago and it was the majority of the affordable units in town um, that's worked out for people but I, I just I understand the the argument that the denser housing is more efficient and we should be doing that and that's the like low-hanging fruit but I don't think that means that we shouldn't also be talking about how housing could be better in those more fragile ecosystems that are losing that, and it, it, it maybe sometimes rightfully so, using that environmental excuse to not put housing there. Uh, like, how can we be more creative there? How can we give people access? And maybe, maybe access isn't always housing. Maybe it should be, you know, the bus that goes the to bus the little that Compton, goes to the Compton. beach there, <laughs> which there is no bus, although there used to be a bus. Yeah. Um, but I'm from Cape Cod, and I think that. The issues that are facing a lot of the suburban rural parts of Rhode Island where this housing is not going up are also issues that I see back home. And I just, you know, I, it makes me sad to think that these communities are going to, going to become, you know, like the Hamptons or something. I don't know, like completely inaccessible to middle and lower class people. So I don't know if you're looking into your story or reporting, but these people that are saying in Little Compton, they're worried about septic, is that it? Because uh, there's no public sewer there. But I would like to know how many people in Little Compton have cesspools still or have failing septic systems that are probably, if you have a cesspool, you're certainly polluting because it doesn't do anything. And if you have a failing septic system, that would be, I mean, I'm not trying to give you more work to do, but I mean, it would be interesting to know how these people that are, that are worried about that, how many of their failing septic systems. Because there's a, there's a law now that if you sell, if you're within, I think it's 200 feet of a wetlands or a water body, you have to, before you sell your house, you have to get an updated septic system. But if you don't sell, you can keep using it. So it would be interesting to know if, how many of those people care about the existing problems that are there. There's certainly, you know, there's septic system and, and, and it's not a ton of units, but there's a six unit affordable housing complex. I won't even say that's a complex, but um, building home um, and they use septic and, and it works. But, um, you know, maybe maybe should it be that you have more of those around if you so, so you can't do a 30 or 40 unit apartment. Maybe you should be doing more of this small, you know, um, accommodation in a place like Little Compton, but it's just not happening because it's not happening. And that's something that I'm, I'm interested in. Well, thank you guys for coming on the podcast and talking about affordable housing. This has been the Blab Lab, Ecorize Environmental News Podcast. We want to thank Roger Williams University and Professor Bernardo Moda for letting us use the podcast studio here. We also want to thank Vanessa Carlton, 
who sung Willow, you hear at the beginning and the end of this podcast. If you guys have any questions or if this episode sparked any ideas for future stories or future episodes, please feel free to email me at Colleen, C-O-L-L-E-E-N, at EqualRI.org. Until next time, you can read us at EqualRI.org. One day it'll happen to you, Colleen.